This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Welcome back to Old News. Uh, I'm Tom Elms, and today we're going to be jumping back uh, into some minor prophets, which I'm really excited about. I just can't seem to stay out of there at the moment. Uh, today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Brendan Moore. Welcome, Brendan. Okay, how you going? Uh, Brendan, uh, I've asked you to come today because you've, you've got a bit of experience looking at the book that we're looking at, but also because uh, you've got a bunch of experience in youth ministry. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I've been doing youth ministry for a long, long time now. I've been involved in youth and children's ministry for, gee, since I was doing stuff in high school, which was like 96. Uh, I went on after high school and got involved in youth ministry. I went to Youth Works College. Uh, I was in the inaugural year there, so 2000, 2001. Then I uh, I realized I was too... too um, too much of a young punk to get out there and take responsibility and have a full-time job uh, doing youth ministry. And so I, I went and worked in childcare for five years uh, and kept serving in my local church and um, and then did some further study. And I've uh, been doing full-time youth ministry now since 2009. Yeah, awesome. That's at St. George North down yep. in South Sydney, uh, which is great. I mean, they're really blessed to have had the same youth minister for so long. Uh, what is it about youth ministry that has kept you hanging around? Yeah, look, uh, for me, there, there's just a, I'm just somehow just drawn to it. Uh, I just, I love working with kids and working with teenagers. It just feels right. So that that's there. Uh, the opportunities that you have to work with young people is also something that I see is really exciting. Uh, young people uh, are the church now and they are the future of the church. And so while we're discipling people and helping them to, uh, make it until that last day now we're also equipping and training them to do the same thing for others and so uh, I really love that I love the opportunities that they have now to get out there in their schools and um, be evangelizing as well uh, and um, I guess too it's always changing you know uh, youth go up and they become part of the evening congregation and you still have a lot to do with them but new people come in and new families as well as you're working with families and discipling them too uh, and so it's just never the same. Yeah, I think that's really true and really cool that you've been able to see so many uh, generations of people come through uh, in that sense and be involved in discipleship of so many. Um, in, our, in our conversations, I found you actually probably a lot better than a lot, most people in including uh, the Old Testament in your teaching yeah. plan. Uh, why have you been so consistent with that? Well, I guess, you know, first of all, it's the Bible. Uh, this is one we say with our kids. They go, who should read this? And everyone says, well, it's in the Bible. So everyone. Uh but at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that we teach our young people how to not just engage with the New Testament, but perhaps the Old Testament, which might seem to them as something that's a bit foreign or a bit hard to read. But if we don't show them their spiritual heritage and we don't show them uh, the, the background to what they're reading in the New Testament, then we're really doing them a disservice. And so uh, for us, we sat down and, and worked out a teaching plan years ago uh, that looked at the breadth of scripture and included, you know, gospels, it included epistles and it included uh, Old Testament. So every term or every year we have a term looking at a book of the Old Testament. 
Yeah, I think that's really cool and, and type of thing that makes me uh, really excited. Today we're looking at the book of Joel together. Um, it's a book that you've taught on in the past, back in 2015. Yep, and 2012 was the first time we did it. Yep. Yeah, cool. Um, how did your youth team respond to the idea of doing Joel? Yeah, I think it was interesting. There's a difference between the first time in 2012 and then in 2015. In 2012, it it was um, it seemed like a, a big ask. Uh, people were not quite sure what to do with it and how we were going to make that happen. Uh, and the amount of resources that I provided for them to help them feel more confident and more comfortable with the book, it's really different to when we came to it in 2015. Uh, and I think that's just because you know, it's a shift in culture where at first that was introducing, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. But by 2015, it was an expectation that that's just what we do. And so there was a lot more excitement when we came back to it. And some of those leaders would have been people who perhaps looked at it when they were in youth group. And so, uh, yeah, it went, there's a progression from apprehension to excitement. And I'm hoping that's how our young people feel about the Old Testament in general. Yeah, great. Um, so back back in 2012, when you had that kind of first uh, contact for a lot of your youth leaders with this type of material, um, what were their original reactions then once they kind of, they found themselves on a talk, they'd have to open the passage and, and think about it for themselves? Uh, and what strategies did you use to mitigate any worries that they had? Yeah, I think, uh, so for me, there was providing basic information. So what, you know, outlines of the book or... Um, uh, looking at some, hey, here's an introduction to, to Joel that you can look at, uh, but also giving them plenty of time to sit down and talk with me so we'd read through things. I can't remember if I had them in my Bible study group at that point in time, but that has been one of the ways that um, I've uh, helped people work through things. So we'd work through a passage in our group and then the next week they'd lead it. Uh, I think we might have done it in our meetings and, and, and did it that way. Um, I think... Just walking people through my outlines and giving them, hey, here's the talk I'm going to give. Here is here are the main points. Here are the the key verses that will bring that out. Uh, and then instead of having a you know a full study on the passage, it was really a study that brought out how do we land it? What are the application points that come out of this? Uh, I think they were probably the key things we looked at. Yeah, awesome. And, and I think. Uh, it would have been really interesting for you as well, uh, bringing this to them. Because I mean, Joel's a bit of a strange prophet yeah. as far as even within the minor prophets. Uh, we don't really we don't have a date uh, like a lot of them do when at the start. We don't have any real specific uh, accusations as we're going to see. It just jumps straight into uh, kind of the results of, of what they've been doing. Yeah. How, how do you think we deal uh, with uh, approaching Joel, in, in that sense, as people who are thinking about young people, uh, we, I mean, we, we want to jump straight into, oh, these are what the Israelites have done wrong. These are what the people of Judah have done wrong. This is what we need to avoid doing. Uh, but Joel doesn't give us that. No, you're right. He doesn't, does he? And so what, I guess what we have is we, we have an opportunity to show that despite kind of, we always, we want clarity. Our people always want this um, they want to be able to point to something and hold it and say, oh, it's definitely this, it's exactly this. Uh, but the world doesn't work like that. And um, the way that God reveals things doesn't always work like that. He reveals what we need for us to respond in faith and repentance. But there's still the secret things that belong to the Lord. And so uh, as we come to a book like Joel, I think there's a great comfort in being able to see that even though there are things that aren't clear, the word of God is clear. 
and the message of the word of God is clear and the call to repent and trust in him is clear. And so uh, I think that that's really helpful for our leaders and for our young people to be able to have that confidence in the word of God at that point. Yeah, I think I think that's really true. And we will kind of be able to, to tease out what some of the issues are kind of from the way the judgment's talked about. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's really helpful that we can rely on it and approach the word of God in this way. Yeah. Uh, so how about we have a look at the text together? Okay, well, jumping into the text in chapter one, uh, chapter one kind of just jumps uh, straight into it. And we have this image of a locust swarm that seems to be causing uh, great calamity uh, to uh, the people. The great, all the things that are growing are being destroyed. Uh, all the things they value and of worth are coming. Whether the locust swarm is a literal locust swarm that is destroying everything or, or an army, uh, we're not entirely sure, but we know that this this swarm that is here is absolutely destroying everything, and the people are finding themselves in great despair and great suffering as a result of all of these things being taken away from them. Uh, it's a really interesting passage that is kind of littered and structured around a bunch of imperative or command words, and we have hear this, tell it to your children, wake up, mourn, despair. Uh, these words that are, are commanding. Uh, the people to respond to what's going on, uh, that they're being told what's happening, uh, but they're also being told uh, what to do, that they need to listen and that they need to respond in a certain way. And I think the use of the command words is really jarring for me. Uh, it really makes me feel uh, what's going on here, almost as if I'm being addressed by the text, which I'm sure is, 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 is its purpose towards its original readers. Um, but then even down to the listening to what's going on, to the repentance that then happens uh, from verse 13 onwards, as they call for them to put on sackcloth and mourn, to uh, fast and gather together, uh, for the day of the Lord is near. And we see this first description of judgment uh, at the start of chapter 1, as the day of the Lord, and what that looks like at least, uh, is being demonstrated to us. Uh, the prayers of repentance and the fasting that comes in response, that then kind of is concluded at the end uh, by Joel's response back to the Lord. Uh, demonstrating his repentance, uh, that he trusts fully that it is the Lord's actions that are occurring and therefore that he's the only one uh, that can deal with this. Uh, a pretty intense first chapter. Joel doesn't kind of pull any punches as it kicks off. Uh, what, what were your initial uh, responses to this? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it's quite unusual, isn't it? You think, like you said, what are the locusts? Are they actually locusts or is it an army? And it's just really hard to know what's going on. Um, uh, the thing that is really clear, though, is that it is an act of God. So you see in verse 18, it talks about um, the, the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. So whatever's happening, this is at God's hand. And Joel does recognize that uh, and sees it and sees a need for repentance in that. Um, one of the things that I guess that we thought about in uh, trying to teach this was, uh, I guess, as you're teaching to a bunch of teenagers who've grown up in the city, they just have no real concept of how devastating a locust plague could be. So whether this is literal locusts or the effect of um, an army coming through and sacking everything, uh, we, we thought we had to try and help them understand just how 
uh, all destroying and, and all pervasive this uh, attack from this locust plague was. And so we, we had a video of um, uh, a locust plague, a large locust plague that went through uh, Madagascar some years ago now. And uh, they were talking to the people who were there and what that meant for them. Uh, in a Mad Madagascar agrarian society, totally reliant on what was around them. Uh, and just the 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 way that the whole of society is impacted by the loss of these crops and the, the extent of the poverty and devastation that that brings uh, helped, helped them to land it. Um, and even just seeing that the plague that hit Madagascar, it was nothing compared to the size of some of the biggest locust plagues that you see in the world and just trying to get that scale and get a handle and, and a tangible feel for what uh, is happening here in Joel. Like, it really is terrible. Yeah, and I think that's really valuable in, in developing that empathy that is definitely required uh, to understand what's going on here and to, to feel yeah. the intense devastation. Uh, and so we've got this complete destruction. And particularly, I think, um, what it's, what's helpful about it being locusts is then the things that the locusts seem to destroy are, are all a bunch of things that would normally be used in offerings at the temple. Yeah. Yeah, and I think as you look at Joel here, there's, there's this kind of strange sense where we don't know exactly what their sin is but in verse 5 you get a bit of a, a, a an, an indicator maybe it's something to do with the people kind of reveling in the things that God has given him and you know they're getting drunk and they're they're lapping up all the wine instead of using it and recognizing God and uh, honoring him and offering those sacrifices because it says they've withheld them uh it says in verse 13 that um, one of the things they've failed to do is to offer grain and drink offerings, uh, and they've actually withheld those things from God. And so it's interesting that uh, these very things that the people are reveling in and, and, and indulging in, maybe in an inappropriate way, um, are the very things that are taken from them. Yeah, and I think um, that's where we kind of start to understand, I guess, from the, the judgment that's coming out, what the sins of these people might be. Yeah. And immediately they're sins that I feel uh, convicted of myself. Um, how do we take this this first chapter that has kind of jumped straight in, it's got intense straight away, and we how do we apply that into our youth kids' lives? Yeah, this chapter is a hard one, I think, to apply simply because the specifics aren't clear. Mm. And so we do have to tread carefully and tread lightly. Um, what can we actually point to, though? I wonder if what we can point to is uh, there's this real tangible judgment that's happening in front of Israel, uh, whether it's something that's happened in the past or it's something that's happening right before them now. It's, it's really clear they've seen it, uh, and it's a clear act of God's judgment because it's been revealed to them that that's the case. Uh, as you... Think about our people here in the in 2018. Uh, we don't have this clear, tangible act of judgment happening in front of us like this. So we've got to be careful that we don't point to everything and say that, oh, look, it's an act of judgment. We need to repent. Um, but as you come to the New Testaments, there are some indicators that the world around us is under judgment. So we look at Romans chapter 1 and we see that people, instead of looking at the good things that God has given them in this created world, they actually give the glory to those things instead of the one who made it. And I wonder if there's a bit of a parallel with Joel and the people, you know, using the good things that he's given them for their purposes and not his. 
Uh, and so uh, as you go on in Romans 1, you see that the world is under God's judgment because of that. Uh, and I wonder if that is something that we can we can draw our young people's attention to. Yeah, I think I really connect with the idolatry that you've linked to, to Romans 1 in, in that here they, uh, they're worshipping and enjoying these things that God's given them to use to worship him, essentially. And I think there's a bunch of aspects in our, in our lives and any our youth lives where they've been given great things uh, that can be used for God and instead they use uh, for themselves. I mean, here we've got the, the good, the classic example of alcohol. Mm. Um, but I think also um, sex is just another classic uh, thing that, that God's given us that we can use to bring glory to him and, and often don't. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good opportunity in this passage to set up the concept of judgment uh, the seeing a deep emotive uh, image of what's going on and then seeing God calling us to res- or calling his people sorry here to respond to that and, and I think those kind of command words that are coming all the way through even from the beginning here um, wanting his people to respond and to understand what's going on and I think we can establish these three things before we jump into uh, the rest of the book and there'll be things that we obviously can come back to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess, you know, as you were just saying, as God's speaking to his people and uh, and, and calling them to repent, to repent, I guess as we're speaking to our young people now, this is our spiritual history. Uh, and if we take Paul in, in 1 Corinthians talking about the things that have been written down that happened to them are examples for us to learn from. Uh, in, in this instance, the example of of Israel's failure and their sin is an example for us to learn from. And so um, uh, I think that's another way we can be looking back and applying that here as well. Yeah, cool. So it seems like some really important things that we need to set up uh, at this point in the first uh, talk of the series, if you choose to do one talk uh, on this section. Um, Yeah, so I think that's really helpful. And so as we get into chapter 2, probably chapter 2, 1 to about verse 27, uh, we have our attention changed from this past or present judgment that's occurring to a future day of the Lord. And so we have this carried through imagery uh, of the day of the Lord, but now looking to the future, we have uh, kind of the continuation of a couple of the command words, uh, blow the trumpet, kind of an, in Zion, like an, an, an announcement of, of what's occurring as the day of the Lord comes. Uh, but now we see this much more, I think, much more terrifying yep. uh, view of, of judgment that's coming as we see now clearly uh, an army that's coming, but not just an army, but but the Lord's army. And I think verse, verse 11, uh, with the Lord thunders at the head of his army, we see this as an army led by God. And so the darkness and trembling and the destruction in its path, as it describes kind of Eden in front of it and desolation behind it, as it destroys on its way through, we see its terrifying efficiency and the discipline of the army as they all kind of walk together in straight lines that comes together with the the end of verse 11, the day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful, who can endure it? And I guess the answer to that is no one. Uh, in the face of what's going on at this moment, especially to this audience. But then things things change. There's almost a change of tone as we go from despair to uh, potential for, for joy or, or hope, really. 
Uh, in verse 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, we see a call to repent uh, coming from the Lord where he says, even now, while the world is destroyed and, and falling apart around you, you have an opportunity for repentance and I'm still going to call you back to me. As he, he essentially echoes uh, what he says to the Israelites in Exodus 34 after the golden calf incident, uh, that while judgment is here, I am compassionate and abounding in love uh, for my people. Uh, and so the opportunity to respond in faithfulness, in almost faithful, desperate worship that is uh, not fake but true, uh, gives gives that opportunity and, and is still being shown here even in the midst of, of horrific judgment. And then God continues and, and explains his uh, compassion for his people. As we see he's jealous for his land, mm. we have this great moment of redemption and promise uh, of, of salvation uh, as God talks about how he will, in fact, save his people from what's going on here, that those who have turned to him and those that are his people uh, will be uh, cared for, uh, kind of culminating at the end of, of this section in verse 27, uh, with, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Uh, an image that I find difficult not to connect to Revelation 21, this image of God being with his people, uh, and that they will never be uh, ashamed and really um, attacked and, and damaged and, and made to feel uh, this way ever again. Uh, another very dramatic section uh, as we look at it, uh, what what sort of things stick out to you about this part? So verse 13 for us, I remember that being uh, our memory verse. And now there's a memory verse song that went with it. Uh, I won't sing it for you. Um, but it's a, it's showing something about the nature of true repentance, isn't it? Because it's, it's tear your hearts, not just your clothes. Uh, it's a difference between, you know, feeling sorry for yourself and actually changing your attitude and and uh, and reor reorienting yourself towards God uh, instead of actually thinking about yourself and, oh, you know, my life is really bad here. It's actually, no, no, this is about God's judgment. The real issue here is that I'm not right with him, and so I need to turn back to him in repentance and faith. Yeah, I, th I think the part that really comes into clarity at this point too is seeing that the judgment is coming directly from God with mm. him uh, leading his army, uh, and that we see the future judgment is uh, at least similar to the judgment that we've seen spoken about in the first section or in the first chapter uh, here. But then we, we have a bunch of, uh, I guess, different responses, um, or, or at least a response from God as he, he shows mercy and provides uh, the opportunity to repent. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff in, in here that we could draw out uh, when we're seeking to apply this with our youth kids. Yeah, and I think having grounded, uh, you know, we talked about grounding that idea of the locust plague and actually understanding just how terrible it is. I think that then helps us move to, well, if you think that's bad, actually this is much more terrible. And so again, uh, just for our young people, it does give them that tangible uh, way to get a hold of that and, and take hold of the imagery that's a little bit abstract. Yet now we see God in his mercy uh, providing that kind of even now you have an opportunity to repent, even at this late stage, even when judgment is being poured out uh, in God's character, we see that we can appeal to him uh, and that he responds to that. 
Yeah, and that even now stands today as well, doesn't it? As our young people are here under God's hanging, under the threat of God's awful judgment, uh, there is still that chance for repentance. And like the, the thief on the cross in Luke, even now, even at this last minute, uh, there's still a chance to turn, to know God in his mercy, uh, in faith and repentance, and to um, experience the beautiful blessings that he has for his people. Mm, and that compassion uh, really sticks out to me as he continues to have compassion for his people. And that when they have turned to him, he, he then promises uh, that this judgment, this terrifying judgment that has come, it's not going to be poured out uh, on them anymore. Uh, assuming that that repentance is true repentance. And yep. that's a really great opportunity to talk about that in, in youth ministry. I think um, often as youth leaders, we can find it frustrating as we see kids uh, come into a knowledge uh, of Christ and then make a form of repentance, but uh, then immediately kind of not change their lives or, or continue outside of, of church and youth group to be living one way. And then when they're at church to be living another way, that seems to really call that out uh, as, as, God is is saying you can't just uh, give me these outside demonstrations. Your your heart needs to change too. Yeah, and you see that in Joel, I suppose too. Look back in chapter one. Here are the people just enjoying the blessings of God that He's given them, and yet they're using them in a way that idolizes it and serves themselves. And I guess repentance can be the same. You know, it's a way of uh, is it real repentance or am I just kind of assuaging my own guilt that I see when I'm confronted with, actually, I'm not right with God. Is it just me trying to deal with that? Or is it true repentance turning to him in faith? Yeah. And so I think for me, what I would really want to be emphasizing in this section is that true repentance. Yeah. Um, but then showing that in response to that true repen re repentance, there is a promise uh, of how God responds to that. And that he himself has said, if you turn to me uh, and you will still be able to achieve salvation, which is just uh, a huge mercy. And I think I'm really grateful for how merciful uh, our God is in that. Yeah. And that picture of the the blessings that he pours out being greater than what they had before the judgment. Um, yeah, there's probably an opportunity at this point where if, if you wanted to, uh, when we think about the intensity of the judgment that we see in this first half and then seeing that that judgment is going to be removed, uh, we have the classic uh, case of the benefit of being able to look back uh, in retrospect, through the cross, and we see that, in fact, uh, that judgment wasn't just removed from us and then no longer existed, but that judgment was removed from us and was still dealt out, uh, that the way in which God was going to achieve this uh, was, in a, it was in a different way uh, to, I guess, what many people uh, ever expected at the time. Uh, but it's, I guess, something we'll, we'll expand on as we think about chapter three. So we kind of get to the third section, this really exciting part, really, of verses 221 to 3, uh, sorry, 228 to 321. And we get this vision of the future of what's going to happen almost afterwards, uh, after this judgment comes through. Uh, the Lord is going to pour out his spirit on his people and they're going to do great signs and, and wonders, have visions and um, prophesy and those who call on the name of the Lord, the quote that's then picked up by uh, Paul in uh, Romans 10, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is a great moment of deliverance uh, as God's spirit is poured out on his people and they are saved. It's very difficult not to see uh, a bunch of this stuff appear 
uh, in, in Acts 2 when the Spirit comes uh, upon uh, his people at Pentecost. Um, but yeah, it's a really helpful moment uh, to see the context behind the verse in Romans 10, as we can see what's going on around here and what's been going on before here, uh, as, as God now seeks to save his people and what that looks like uh, as this restoration seems to, to begin and be carried out. But then as this restoration begins, uh, we see uh, God's judgment is still very much present. We see him defeating uh, the invading armies. We see him uh, defeating the nations and carrying out his judgment on them. Uh, that he is uh, still judging them very much, uh, bring, bringing forth uh, the things that he has, has promised, but not now on his people. The God's judgment is coming down still uh, on those who oppose him and oppose his people, but that his people are not uh, judged in this way. But then instead that they are, we have this image again that we kind of started to pick up on in the last chapter of God being with his people uh, that God is with his people, dwelling on them in Zion, uh, on his holy hill, uh, that never again will the foreigners invade and, and cause uh, pain and, and calamity to, to come upon his people. But that instead, uh, all these images that we get regularly of, of kind of the promised land, uh, of the hills that flow with milk uh, and the fountains flowing from the Lord's house, nation of, of God's people and Jerusalem, God, where God's temple and place was, uh, are being inhabited for all generations, never again having their blood spilt, uh, but instead ending with this kind of big statement of the Lord dwells in Zion, uh, finding him here on his mountain with his people, that by the end of Joel we've seen judgment poured out, we've seen the repentance of God's people, we've seen him respond uh, and provide that opportunity for repentance, uh, but then that this judgment is still carried out, but now still on those who oppose his people, uh, but that God's people ultimately are saved, they're restored, and God's place is restored with his people as well. Uh, a pretty cool way for the book to, to wrap up and come to an end, and, and a really great uh, story overall as things have travelled. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of, kind of takes, takes you back, makes you excited about the future. Um, what, what sort of things jump out at you about this section? Yeah, uh, there's so much we could say, isn't there? We could talk for hours on this. Um, how beautiful is the last verse? Uh, the book finishes on such a note of hope that there will be a a pardon for his people and for their guilt. That's that's that really is something that we can help our people see as uh, we we point them ahead to the forgiveness of sins that's offered in Jesus. And so, you know, those who call on the name. The Lord will be saved, we talked about in Romans, and um, yeah, it really is a, a looking forward to that time when God will uh, f bring not only uh, not only Israel, but actually a time where uh, those of us who are Gentiles, the nations, can be brought in through Jesus into his promises and experience those blessings and, and benefits as well. Yeah, and it's good that we're able to dwell on that at this moment, that we can see that our position, maybe as, as Gentiles and, and those who have traditionally not been God's people, uh, would have in the past been with those who are being judged. Yeah. But the, And we've seen the intensity of that judgment yeah. that rightfully should be dealt out on us, uh, but that through the cross, through what Jesus has achieved for us, uh, that we can enter into that and become one of God's people uh, is really, a, it's a great moment, I think, uh, considering the emotive tension that you we've hopefully mm. built throughout the series to almost a call to action to faith in Christ. Um, yeah. You could probably take quite a bit of, of Joel and, and preach it quite evangelistically. Yeah, I uh, think so. Yeah, because of the way it draws us in in this way. Um, 
yeah, I, th- I think it's very difficult not to read the stuff that's going on with the spirit here and the promise of the pouring out of the spirit and not think of that moment in Acts 2 when the spirit is poured out and God's people do signs and wonders mm. and then they carry forth the word of God yep. uh, to uh, Israel and, and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And you see that first sermon yeah, the first uh, proclamation of, of the gospel there that, that Peter gives. And what does it result in? It results in a call to repentance and faith and bringing, uh, bringing that forgiveness that's promised, that pardon of their blood guilt uh, in Jesus to God's people there. Yeah, and I think um, something that's really valuable about uh, the minor prophets in general, but at this point in Joel, is that while we're in this passage of restoration, there's still very clearly... Uh, in the middle, this this section about the judgment of the nations, and and that's got to be part of the preaching, and would have been part of the preaching that was occurring at that time, that we are being saved from something, and we need to recognise that 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 judgment is still very real and continues to be real, uh, our post conversion. Yeah, and so I guess you know we've set up this this uh, we've set up this picture where we see just how terrible God's judgment is, and so at this point. As God's people to hear that there's relief from that judgment, you know that is uh, for us is you know we sing God's praises and we're full of thankfulness for that. But at the same time, yeah, the difficulty, or perhaps the the danger is that we forget the other side of that that the judgment mm-hmm. is still real. And while there are those who, uh, while while there are those who are freed from that judgment in Jesus, there are those who are still facing that judgment. Yeah, and I think um, it's so important because it gives us an understanding of God's justice in all of this. Yes. That as we carry through to Revelation 21 and um, we see the beauty of what that looks like when God is finally with his people dwelling with them. Um, but at the same time, Revelation doesn't really pull any punches when it comes yeah. to those who aren't with uh, with God and haven't become his people. That this image of justice that you, you kind of made reference to when we started um, looking at chapter 1, uh, is here and and what God's justice looks like uh, is often very different to what youth might feel justice should look like. Yeah, I think so. Often, uh, our, often our, you hear the phrase, uh, "It's not fair." You know, someone gets out in handball, uh, and I think that's a it's quite illustrative of how we use or how young people use justice. It really it's shorthand for I don't like that or I don't like the feeling associated with that. Uh, but here's you see God's judgment and you see God's justice uh, it's actually far more than we could ever really understand because not only does it not only is it retributive and there are people who are repaid and, and are given what they actually deserve what is fair sometimes that is uh, here you see in, in God pouring out his judgment on the people the nations uh, at the same time you go to a passage like Revelation and not only is God with his people but it's actually a restorative justice as well. And so the language in the Old Testament of the promises of the land flowing with milk and honey and, and the, the new wine in abundance, you see that in, in Revelation where there is no more pain and there is no more hurt, there's no more suffering. And so uh, it, it's, it's far beyond just people getting what they deserve. It's restoring uh, the damage that was done by sin in this world as well, which I, I think that is the kind of understanding that people our young people need to look to when they think about what is justice well what is god's justice uh, it's it's a much richer picture than just everything being equal yeah and i think this is a really great place for us to have of landed by the end uh, as we've gone through uh, the 
the judgment and repentance and God's mercy and compassion for his people mm. that's come through to see that in the end, uh, we've landed in this wonderful place of restoration, but it isn't a place that completely disregards the judgment, but rather contrasts against it, helping us to truly uh, see what's going on. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah, so I think we can agree that there's a whole bunch of things about this book that are really uh, awesome and, and teach us uh, so much. Uh, why do you think, Brendan, this book is so valuable for us to be teaching in youth ministry? Yeah, there, you're right. There's so many things we could talk about. And uh, uh, a lot of those things also overlap. And so it can be quite complicated to try and tease them out. But I think, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's little things like, hey, this is a great book where you can talk about uh, we mentioned it before, but you know there are uncertainties in in this book and things that are not as clear. But the word of God and His message is still clear, and so we get a, a really clear uh, or a good chance to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, and, and I think that's a, a great opportunity to take. Uh, we can talk about uh, God's faithfulness and in, in His promises. And so we see He promised to pour out His Spirit, and you get Joel, uh, you get. He promised to pour out his spirit and you get Acts chapter 2 and you see the, the spirit poured out there. And so we see God's faithfulness, uh, which I think is a, a a good thing for us to be pointing out along the way when we see these little promise and fulfillments thing happening. Uh, it just helps give our people confidence that God is faithful uh, in not just sending Jesus, but in all these little ways when he's been faithful to Israel uh, and to us. I think one of the big things that we might want to uh, be be drawing out is I guess it's a book that talks about true justice, uh, and uh, in a world where our young people justice means a lot to them, uh, and 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 that's how they think, you know, not just by what is right and wrong, but what they feel is right and wrong. I think a book like Joel may really challenge that. Um, I think it challenges our 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 view of sin. Uh, do we have such a low view of sin that we're willing to let our own ideas of justice uh, trump God's views of justice? Uh, I think it helps us to address that and challenge it. Um, and perhaps we have a, a really low view of judgment as well because we don't think sin is so serious. We don't think it's worthy of the justice of the. We don't think it's worthy of the judgment that we see happening and how terrible it is here. Um, but again, that a book like Joel helps to correct that and point to what an affront to God it is uh, when we sin against Him. Yeah, and I think off off the back of that, then then contrasts against our our view of our salvation, and I th one of the problems that I think comes from the 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 problem of of repentance not necessarily being true repentance, which Joel uh, has a huge crack at, is that because we don't take sin as seriously as we should, we don't appreciate our salvation as much as we yep. could, and Joel gives us this opportunity as we go through the book to not just see the great glory of what we receive now um, at this point through Christ, um, but that we see what we've been saved from and that gives us a true appreciation for the love of God and what he's done for us. And now we have this hope that comes off the back of this where we see the hope in the restoration of God's creation. We see that he's going to defeat evil in the world and he's given us the opportunity to not be part of that evil anymore uh, by being able to still turn back to him. And so we can see the restoration that's coming. We can have confidence in that and in his faithfulness to those promises uh, knowing uh, that now on this side of the cross in Christ, uh, we have those things and we can hold to him uh, and truly believe in him. 
Yeah. I think this makes it a really wonderful book uh, in, in youth ministry and a really valuable one to consider uh, using. Cool. And so with all these things in mind, I thought, uh, Brendan, how about you have the last word about the book of Joel? Well, as you look at Joel, I guess what you see is a beautiful picture of how God deals with his people, how he saves his people, how he announces and warns his people and yet holds out the hope of forgiveness. And as you come to us today, we see that same thing offered in Jesus, the warning of judgment to come and yet the blessings and the promises of forgiveness of sin in him. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.